We have four little boys, Seth, Sutton, Sawyer, and Shepard. Um, they each have their own little personalities to them. Um, but our Sutton, our second, he's probably our most observant and our most curious, all right? So he just has this keen eye for detail. And then what seems to follow is just a lot of questions, all right? So for instance, when you go to the grocery store, you usually don't think about it. You just run to the grocery store, get what you need, and then come back home. Um, well, that's not the case with our little Sutton. Our Sutton, um, when we go visit Sam's, we have four boys, so you have to buy in bulk, amen? So we go to Sam's, we buy in bulk, and uh, when we go to the store, there's usually a lot of details and questions that go along with it. For instance, who is Sam? <laughs> and why did he name the store after himself? And why did he choose to put the store where it's at in St. Louis? And why are the doors on the left-hand side of the building and not the right-hand side of the building? And why is the food at the back of the store and not the front of the store? Why are the toys at the front and the food is at the back? And then why do the, how do they choose what the temperature is in the refrigerator section? And why are there different pieces, why are there different types of cheese? Why are there yellow cheese? and then why is there white cheese and why does some of it have holes in it? Like there's, these are the questions. These are the details that we kind of work through. Whenever you go and you're around Sutton, he just has such a keen eye for detail. It's like he notices everything. And so tonight as we're looking at the fourth petition, which is give us today our daily bread. I want us to approach this petition with a similar curiosity that my Sutton possesses. All right. So whenever you think about this petition, it's something that if we're really honest, we don't really wrestle with a lot. We live in Western civilization. Um, a lot of us have a, a certain amount of abundance that comes with this life, right? Um, some of us have storage units for the overflow of things that don't fit in our home and we put them in boxes and we put them in separate storage places. Um, so when it comes to this, I think there's a temptation with this, this petition for us to skip over it. That we, we think, okay, I have a secure job. I have financial income that's coming through. Um, when it comes to this petition and I'm praying through the Lord's prayer, I can pray it and then I can move on because the Lord has already provided for me here. Well, instead, I want to approach this petition with a, a sense of curiosity, all right, and here's how I want us to do this. Rather than just skipping over the petition, I want us to look at the verses around this petition to see if there's more that can be gleamed from this fourth petition for us to better understand it. All right, and as we do that, we just read through a passage that's at the end of Matthew chapter six that I believe gives a lot of insight to this fourth petition. So I, what I want us to do is I just want us to wrestle with these nine verses at the end of Matthew chapter six for us to have a more robust understanding of what this fourth petition is. As we read through it, you probably realize that at least five times, Jesus says, do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. Why do you worry? Do not worry. Do not worry. He says it over and over again. And then these nine verses, if we really unpack them, so we wrestle with them, what we're going to find is they really are sort of the commentary to the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer. They're Jesus expounding on what he's speaking to when he says, give us today our daily bread. So here's what I want to do. All right, I want to consider Jesus' teaching here at the end of Matthew chapter 6. And I almost want to give you an apologetic to pray the fourth petition that you don't skip over it. That when you come to this particular petition, that rather than just I'm good and then moving on, you actually wrestle with what Jesus is really trying to open up for us to explore when it comes to praying 
the fourth petition. And as we work through these nine verses, here's three things that I think you're going to find. Or at least we're going to work through them. Amen. So here we go. God is concerned about your provision. Second, God is the source of your provision. And then lastly, God is delighted in your provision. All right, so we're going to wrestle with these three movements throughout these nine verses, and then we'll close with a little story. All right, so wrestle with the first little point here with me. It says, again, here it is, God is concerned about your provision. All right, so here, let me give you some context before we dive into these verses. We're going to look at 25 through 30. Um, Jesus is, this is, the, what this teaching is, it's smack dab in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, right? So five through seven of Matthew are all Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So what he's done, he's gone to this mountaintop and he has his closest followers that have come with him. He also has large crowds that are following him after all the miracles and things that he's done. And they follow him on top of this. And so we see Jesus is the master teacher here. Jesus is looking at his surroundings. He sees the things that are going on around him. He also is very aware of the audience that is before him. And so he's going to draw on that and he's going to use his surroundings as well as the knowledge of his audience to speak directly into their life about the things that these nine verses contain. And so as we look through this, as we work through 25 through 30, you're going to notice that there's a string of comparisons. And here's the first one, right? In verse 26, the first one is this, birds of the air. Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns. So imagine that you're with Jesus here, all right? You're, you're on the sermon, you're out on the, on the mountaintop with Jesus. He's giving the sermon. You can imagine Jesus is sort of before the entire crowd and he's looking around and there's birds in the sky and he notices the birds and he points them to your recollection. And so you look up into the sky and you see the birds that are flying around. And as they're flying around, then Jesus says, in the midst of all this, do not worry. Consider the birds of the air. They do not have to worry about where their food comes from. And he he draws on one of the most primary occupations of his people at that time, which is farming. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns. He's drawing on their life experience as well as the surroundings that are taking place around them. And he's pointing out, look, birds can't do what you can do. They, they can't work tools and go and till up the ground they can't take seeds and then put them strategically throughout the dirt as they've dug it up for the reception of the seed. They can't, they don't have the strength to go and actually put the dirt back on top. They can't go and water the ground. They can't do all the science that you know that you need to do in order to help the crops grow from the ground. They can't do that. They're the birds of the sky. They understand that they're completely dependent. But yet God provides for the birds of the sky. They're not left wanting for their physical provision. They're, they're provided for on a day-to-day -day basis. God supplies their daily need. And then he goes back to verse 26. He says, yet your heavenly father, he feeds them. And then look, aren't you worth more than they? Can you add one moment to your lifespan by worrying? Jesus is like, look, look at the birds of the sky. They can't do anything for themselves, but yet God still provides for them. How much more for you? 
Then he kind of begins to work down the chain of command when it comes to creation. So he goes from the birds of the sky. Then he goes second to the flowers of the field. Look in 28. And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. So just as the birds are incapable of providing food for themselves, he's now drawing to the wildflowers. He's like, look, look around at you. Look at the wildflowers that are here in the grass. Look around at you. Look at the splendor with which they are created. He's saying, look, these aren't like spectacular flowers either. They're not the ones that you go to a flower store and you're paying huge amounts of dollars to go and get. No, they're what you consider weeds. They're the things that my boys go and pick in our backyard and give it to us and tell us that they're beautiful flowers. And they are. Have you ever stopped? Like, have you picked a weed and then like taken some time to look at it? I mean, different colors. They have petals to them. They bring beauty just to the natural greenery of your yard. Like, there's a splendor to these wildflowers. Jesus is saying, look, look at these wildflowers. Look at all of them. And again, Jesus relates creation and beauty back to a common occupation. Sewing, something that was commonplace for anybody that would have been in Jesus' audience as they're thinking through all that Jesus is pointing out around them. Jesus says field flowers are incapable of such skill of sewing. They, they can't go and make fabric. They don't shear the sheep and then put together the fabric. And then they, they don't know about getting dye and then going and placing the fabric in the dye in order for it to be dyed to a certain extent. And they don't have the fingers to actually sit down and spin and weave and do all the things that are necessary for you to create garments. Flowers can't do that. They can't create their petals with the spinning and the winnowing and all the things that are taking place. They, they lack that skill. But then he draws on one of the most prized kings of all of Israel. He looks and he points at King Solomon and he says, look, look at King Solomon. Maybe the most capable king that you've ever had. Even King Solomon, who's more than capable than probably anybody that's in the crowd that Jesus is speaking to. He's saying even he didn't dress himself as well as these wildflowers. He's pointing out, look, if the birds can't feed themselves... If the wildflowers can't even dress themselves to the splendor of even King Solomon, and God provides all of these things for them, how much more for you? And then he goes to the measliest example of all of the comparisons here, and it's just mere grass. He goes to verse 30. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? See, Jesus is now speaking of grass and the grass that's clothed with these wildflowers. He's pointing out, look, this is the grass that you cut and you throw into the fire tomorrow. The stuff that you just cut down and then throw to the side and then it's completely gone the very next day. The stuff that is just the cast off for you. The thing that you hardly give any thought to. If you, who give so little thought to that, yet God has dressed all the grass of the fields with the beautiful splendor of the wildflowers of the, the prairie. If God's taken that much thought, that the thing that's thrown into the fire tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? 
in, in essence, here's what, God is, what Jesus is saying. If God pays attention to creation with such intricate detail, how, much, how concerned is he going to be for you? If he's worried about the, the birds of the air and the wildflowers of the fields and the grass of the prairie, you're his prized creation. You're the one that after he completed all of creation, you're the only one that he said, it's very good. You're the apple of his eye. You're the one that after he created you, he said he created you in his image and likeness. No others. After he created you, he's the one that he said, he gives you dominion over all the rest of his creation. He's the one that as you look and he's, thinking about the birds and he's thinking about the wildflowers and he's thinking about the grass. Look, you went out. None of these things capture his attention the way that you capture his attention. And so Jesus, he's trying to capture the audience's attention saying, look how concerned he is for you. If he provides for, if these things that are just on his mind that he provides for, how much more his prized creation is he gonna provide for you? Don't worry. And if you're looking at the fourth petition, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, don't worry, but be drawn to prayer. He's concerned for your provision and you don't have to worry because he's concerned about you. So rather than running around frantic and being worried about your physical needs, you go to your father who cares so much more for you than the rest of his creation how much more is he going to provide for you? Secondly, not only is God concerned about your provision, but he's also the source of your provision. We see this in verses 31 through 34. I'm just going to read it to remind us and then we'll dive in. So don't worry saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So we find Jesus, again, making another comparison here. Jesus says that the Gentiles, which are everybody but the people of God, so the people of the world, they're devoted to material things. Jesus says they eagerly seek them. That's why he says that they question, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? Now, for us to get a fuller picture here, we need to step back rather than just 25 through 34. We need to look at verse 24, which is almost what the rest of the passage that we're looking at is sort of a commentary on. So verse 24, at the very end of it says, you cannot serve both God and money. And the word money here, if you're looking at it in the original language, is mammon. And mammon is material wealth. So in Jesus' day, material wealth looked like huge cattle. Like you measured a person's wealth by how large their cattle was or how much food that they had stored up in their barn or how many vats of wine they possessed. Or you looked at their closet to see all the different intricate robes that they had lined out. That was material wealth for them. And what Jesus says is these Gentiles, these people of the world, they chase after these things. They run after these things. They eagerly seek these things. They're the chief concern of their mind in the day-to-day living of their life. For us, it's sort of like your financial portfolio. 
or like the sneakers that you have in your closet or the how big your house is or the updates that you've added to your house. These are the material things that Jesus is sort of talking about if you're to translate it into modern day language. And if you look at what Jesus is saying here, it seems like he's saying, he's pointing this stuff out to say, look at the waste of a life this is. These Gentiles, they chase all of these material things, but it's a waste of your life. Jesus gives an alternative to it. In verse 33, he, he says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. So the kingdom of God is another way of saying God's rule. That rather than pursuing all these material things and being ruled by them, which you see in verse 24, he says, you devote yourself to these things. You love them or you hate them. You serve them, they master over you, or you despise them. And what Jesus is saying is these Gentiles, they are servants to these material things. And what Jesus is saying is like, that's a waste of your life. If you want to have something that's worth your life, something that's worth investing in, if you want to have a master that's worth serving in your life, it's the kingdom of God. It's the commands that he places on your life. It's the things that he said that are best for us. And so we step into these things. We pursue them. Rather than being ruled by our material possessions, we, we step away from that and we actually pursue what God has best in store for us, which are his commands and the order by which he's created us to live in this life. You also see that he says that we are to pursue righteousness, which is God's holiness and his character. He's saying, look, if you want to have something that you don't just leave behind after your last breath, here on this earth, which is what will happen with all of your material possessions, if you want to have something that you can actually take with you, then you focus on God's righteousness, which means you focus on your character. You, you have yourself focus on the things, the priorities that are priorities to God. You look at your own life and you think about how God acts towards people, how he speaks of people, how he treats people. And he says, if you want to have something that's worth living for, then you look at the righteousness of God and then that's what you try to match up your life. If you have something that is a chief worry and concern of your life, it's not your material possessions, that stuff stays here. That can't go with you. But what can go with you is the things that you've invested in other people. It's the character that you've focused all of your time and attention to, to be formed into the likeness of Christ. That's what can go with you. If you want something that's worth your life, then it's the kingdom of God and it's his righteousness. And then look what he has to say if you pursue these things all that will be added to you. All that will be added to you. God knows what you need. If you pursue his kingdom, if you pursue his righteousness, all that will be added to you. Here's what it's kind of like, all right? So imagine you just get your first job. You get this first job and it's a really nice job. Like you walk into a really great situation and you know the president of the company. Like he, you have his phone number in your cell phone. You can call him at any moment's time if you need him. And so as you're stepping into the first day of work, one of the first tasks that you have is you have a whole stack of papers on your desk. And this whole stack of papers is to be organized and they're really important documents for the company. And so as you're trying to think through how you organize it, you're like, I need paper clips. I need paper clips that I'm going to organize all these papers. I'm going to put them into the files and the, they're going to be put into the clusters that actually make sense. And so you're, you're thinking about doing this and then you notice, I don't know where the paper clips are. 
And so you're going around and you're trying to, you basically start turning over the whole entire office, trying to find where the paper clips are. I mean, you're opening up closets, you're throwing everything out, you're trying to find the paper clips, you're turning over desks, you're doing everything you can. And then the president of the company walks in and he knows the office is a mess. He knows that, notices that you're a mess and you're like, what has happened here? And so you have to kind of come to your grips and you have to tell them what's going on. I, I'm trying to put organization to these papers and I just need paper clips. I'm trying to look for paper clips. And the president looks at you and he's like, don't you have my number? Like when we hired you to do this job, like we're going to give you the resources that you need in order to do your job. What, like, why didn't you reach out to me? Like, look at what has happened. Look what you've done here. Like, you've gotten away from the focus of what our company is. And as he's talking through all these things, he walks you over to your desk and he pulls out the drawer and there's the, sta- the, the paper clips. He's like, they're right here. Like, we've given you everything that you needed to do your job. Like, what, what's going on? He, it's almost as if he's saying, look, you become so worried and concerned about the most meager thing that could ever be thought about with your job here, you've been so overwhelmed by trying to find paper clips that you missed the mark of what the whole entire purpose of your job really is. Look, Jesus is saying that mammon is paper clips. If you're chasing after the material things in this world, you've lost your focus. Like, don't waste your life on paper clips. Like God is coming in and saying, look, you have a relationship with me. I'm the God that thought you up and spoke you into existence. I'm the one that's spoken to you through the living word of God. You have complete access to me through Jesus. You can call on me at any point in time. I... I gave you the resources to do this life and you're running around frantic as if these material things are the most important thing in your life and you've lost focus. It's like Jesus saying, don't live for the paper clips. Come back to the realization that I am the source of your provision. I'm concerned about you and I'm the source for all that you need for this life. So don't run around worrying, but rather pray. Come speak with me about the needs that you have in this life. I'm concerned for you. I'm the source for all that you need, so come speak with me. And then thirdly, not only is God concerned about your provision, and not only is he the source of your provision, but God is delighted in your provision. So Jesus said, don't worry, don't worry. Why worry? Don't worry. How much more will he provide for you? He already knows what you need. All these things, they'll be provided for you. I already know ahead of time what you need. Just come talk with me. And it all hinges on this little phrase that we see in verse 26. It says this, yet your heavenly father. See, Jesus gets personal here. When you think about the Lord's prayer, what's the opening line? What's the address? Our Father in heaven. Right? So this is, that, this is a reminder to us, if you remember back, our Father in heaven is a reminder that the Lord's prayer is not just this personal prayer, it's a communal prayer. 
When we come into prayer, we need to be thinking about other people as well. We're lifting up their personal needs. We're taking them as uh, a brother and sister. We're taking the name of our brother and sister to Jesus and calling upon the name of Jesus for him to intervene in their life. That needs to happen. We need to do that for one another. But when it comes to your personal provision here, Jesus gets personal. He moves from our to your. You see, a good dad delights in providing good gifts for his kids. I, I enjoy shoes, all right? I enjoy shoes. They're necessary for life, amen? Um, you need shoes to go and walk around, especially with what you've been doing this week, walking around places, you need good shoes. <clears throat> and I, I just enjoy them, all right? I, I enjoy good shoes. So shoes are usually what I'm not willing to spend my own money for, but whenever it comes to birthdays and Christmases is what I ask for, all right? I ask for shoes. But you know what I love even more than getting shoes myself? I love giving shoes for my boys. I do. I love taking them to the shoe store. Here's what brings me great delight. I love going to the shoe store and getting a box of shoes that I know that they're excited about and maybe I'm more excited about it than they are. And so we sit down and I put them on the bench and we put the shoe on their foot and then we tie it up. And here's what usually happens. They start running up and down the shoe store. They want to see how fast the shoes make them. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so they're running up and down the aisle. And so they'll run down the opposite way of the aisle, but then they'll turn around and they come back and they usually, here's what happens. They look at my face the whole entire way. They're looking to see what my reaction is. And I, I think what they usually get is just this big smile on my face, because I love to see the joy of them running in these shoes. And then I, I love whenever they bring them home. Here's what usually, here's what's kind of happening right now. We got to do this with our baby Shepherd. And so Shepherd comes home, and now anytime he goes to get his shoes, he brings them to me. He says, new shoes? New shoes? Like he gets so excited about them. Look, here's what Matthew seven eleven says, the very next chapter. If you then who are evil, which kind of stinks, amen. Now how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? If I, a good dad on my best day, am able to give good gifts and provide for their essential needs, just stop and think about the delight that comes to your heavenly father when he gets to provide for you. When you come and you ask him for the very basic needs that you have in this life and you come to your father who's in heaven because you know that he can provide what you need. Imagine the joy and delight that comes to him. I mean, stop and consider how he has provided for your deepest need and the, the attention to detail and the sacrifice that he went in order to bring the greatest need that you had in your life, which was redemption from your sin. Well, who did he provide? He provided Jesus, his most prized possession, the bread of life, who came down and willingly laid down his life for you so that you could have restored relationship and call God your heavenly father. So look, if this is your deepest need and he delights in providing your most desperate need that you have in life, how much more is he going to provide for you? How much more is he going to delight in providing your most basic needs here in this life? So look, whenever it comes to your thinking on the material things that you need in this life, your physical, your physical provision in this life, God delights 
and providing for you. You're not a nuisance to him. You're not something that he puts up with because he's your heavenly father. And he enjoys giving his children good gifts. So rather than being like the Gentiles and running around frantic and living for the material things of this world, we pray. We pray, give us today our daily bread, all of your physical needs. You bring him your needs. You pray in faith in giving God your most desperate needs. You pray with a sense of gratitude because you stop and you reflect and you think on all that God has given you. And you don't run around being worried because you have a heavenly father that delights in providing for you. So let me close with a story that I think kind of ties all this together. It's just a good example for us, okay? So one of my favorite biographies is written about this pastor, George Mueller. He lived in the 1800s. And Mueller was a man that believed so much in prayer that he didn't even tell people what he needed. <laughs> That's the complete opposite of me, all right? So I'm like, oh my gosh, there's all these things that are going on in life. Please pray for me. George Mueller believed so much in prayer that he didn't even tell other people. He just prayed for it himself. And what he did is he owned uh, an orphanage. And he had, at this one particular instance, he had 300 orphans that lived in his orphanage. And on this very morning, they didn't have any food for breakfast. I'm talking no bread, no milk, no nothing that was in the house. And so as his people that work in the orphanage are with him, they notice and they recognize all this stuff is going on. And so they come to Mueller and they're like, what are we going to do? We have 300 kids that are waking up starving and we have nothing to provide for them. What do we do? How do we proceed? And so Mueller is like, well, just go set the table. <laughs> so they take plates and they go set all the plates on their table and their spots. And they're like, all right, we did that. Now what? He's like, well, go get the kids and put them down in the spots. And so they go gather the kids and put the kids in the spots. And so they have empty plates on this table. There's no food that's on the table. And so Mueller stands up in the presence of 300 orphans as well as the workers that are there. And he stands up and he starts blessing and thanking God for the things that aren't on their plate. As he's praying and thanking God for his provision, even though there's nothing on the table, there's a knock at the door. And so he goes over to the door, he opens the door, and it's the baker. And he says, last night, I way overcooked. I have 300 extra loaves of bread. And you just came to mind. Do you need them? And almost instantaneously after that, the milkman is out going, taking milk around the city. And his truck breaks down right in front of the orphanage. And so he goes up to the front door of Mueller. And he says, this milk is going to spoil. Like, do you need it? Could you use it? And so Mueller invites both of these people in. And the kids around the table, ready to receive bread and milk and other things. Things that were, a table that was empty is now full. Because a man stood up and recognized that he was a child of the heavenly father of the world. And he prayed and he asked for his physical needs. And the Lord heard his prayers and he delighted in his provision. Friends, God is concerned about your provision. Not only is he concerned about it, 
He's a source of your provision. And not only is he concerned about your provision, and not only is he the source of your provision, he delights in your provision. So rather than being the people that live for material possessions, that run around frantic and our chief concern being our financial portfolios, the size of our houses, the clothes that are in our closet, our bank accounts, we don't worry about those things. Instead, we seek the kingdom of God, his rule over our life, the things, his rule is far more important than any material possession that we could possibly serve. We live for the righteousness of God that we seek to be in character like our heavenly father. Stuff that we can take with us into the afterlife. So we don't run around worried, but we pray. Friends, don't skip over the fourth petition. Pray, give us today our daily bread because you have a father who deeply loves you. Let's pray.